This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, April 10th, 2012. I'm Caleb Brown. Mitt Romney likes the idea of spending at least 4% of our GDP on the military. The question every Romney supporter should ask is, where are those extra trillions of dollars going to come from? Chris Preble, Vice President for Defense and Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, comments. We've heard this term 4% for freedom, uh, referring to a fixed share of our nation's GDP, not the federal budget, but GDP, uh, to be devoted to defense. Now, up through, I guess, as late as the, the 1970s and 80s, defense was really the thing that government did. Right. Uh, so it's reasonable, perhaps, from a perspective of defense may be crowded out by all of these other uh, Im- important pieces of spending that are very popular and have a broad constituency, and and perhaps the the fear is we're gonna we the defense department uh, providing for the common defense might get squeezed. So uh, from that perspective, perhaps it's understandable. Yes, from that perspective, it is understandable. There's no question that the the federal government's core role to defend. The United States, our citizens, our interests um, has uh, lost ground over the years to other government functions, which are not core goals. Not ju- and there's not just libertarians who believe this, but conservatives and others believe this. Um, the problem with framing the discussion this way, however, is twofold. First of all, um, defense, strictly defined, is a relatively easy thing to do for country like the United States of America, which has wide oceans to the east and west and relatively weak and friendly neighbors to the north and south. Uh, and also we have nuclear weapons, which are an additional uh, uh, benefit in terms of deterrence. So it's, it's a rather easy thing to defend the United States from traditional threats. We haven't had to worry about traditional threats for a very long time, frankly. And instead, we've spent a lot of our time and effort and money uh, defending other countries who do have legitimate threats. The argument being that their threats are synonymous with ours. My argument is that that probably was true during the Cold War, but it isn't true anymore. And this is the real issue that I have with Governor Romney's proposal. It's not just Governor Romney's proposal. It's an idea that's been floating around for some time, which says that because defense as a share of federal government spending has been declining relative to other types of spending, uh, there needs to be a floor established below which uh, the base defense budget will not fall. And that is based on the belief that uh, two erroneous beliefs. One, that GDP will continue to rise. That's a, not, we've seen that that's not always true. But more importantly, it presumes that our threats expand with our wealth. Uh, and, and frankly, the opposite is true. As we become wealthier, our threats have actually diminished and we're vastly more wealthy as a country Uh, 20 years after the collapse of the Soviet Union. And my argument is, in fact, we should be able to uh, spend considerably less, both in real terms and as a share of GDP, precisely because the threats that we armed for in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s uh, are long since gone. You mentioned one of the implications of this 4% idea, which is that as we become wealthier, it costs more to defend us rather than effective defense uh, from foreign aggression being simply a task you accomplish, uh, hopefully, at a steadily cheaper clip. That's right. That's right. You look at the things that we spend our money on 
uh, in our daily lives, and most of what we spend money on have actually have become cheaper as we become wealthier. We spend less and less, of course, for things like clothing and food and shelter uh, than we did a generation ago or two generations ago. And my question always is why, uh, somewhat tongue-in-cheek, I ask why is it that the military doesn't behave according to those same principles? Why is it that military spending actually becomes more and more expensive? And the answer, of course, is because there's very little competition within military industry. Uh, they have a single buyer uh, and, and and because of the effects of political log rolling and other uh, non-competitive factors, uh, you have steadily rising costs for all manner of military hardware. And the gold plating problem, that is the problem of, of adding new requirements to every new plane, ship, tank, et cetera, and thus they become more and more expensive. And so we see that while I would argue, and I think many of my colleagues here at Cato and others around the city would argue that the military spending should actually be declining in terms of uh, certainly as a share of our output, but also in real terms, especially now that the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan are winding down, uh, this 4% idea builds in an automatic increase uh, that uh, by, by which the defenders of that or the, the advocates of that argument try to try to wall off defense from this competition from other federal spending. This idea has been around for a while, mm -hmm. uh, as you mentioned, and Mitt Romney is sort of just the latest uh, Republican to adopt this idea. I think uh, Fred Thompson, I guess, one of the recent go-rounds was one of the biggest promoters of that idea mm -hmm. uh, in a previous presidential race. Who is advising Mitt Romney to uh, take this particular tactic this time? Well, I don't know for certain, but you can infer from the people who are advising him or listed as his foreign and defense policy advisors, uh, the, the key figure is probably Jim Talent, former Senator Jim Talent from Missouri, who, after he left the Senate, uh, went to the to the Heritage Foundation. I actually debated Senator Talent, Talent several years ago at, at Heritage about the 4% idea. Heritage pu published a paper about this. Another person who used to be at Heritage is now at the American Enterprise Institute, Mackenzie Eglin, has also written and spoken about it a lot. Uh, I recently debated Tom Donnelly from AEI, who actually has argued for more than 4%, but again, arguing that that's a floor, that's a bare minimum that we should spend. So it is an idea that's been kicking around for some time. I remember taking it on for the first time probably in 2007, 2008, uh, when I was writing my book and have continued to, to study it since then. What has changed, I think what is, what is causing some angst among uh, Romney supporters and even perhaps there's a, there was a recent article in the Boston Globe that suggested some angst among Romney's own uh, fiscal policy advisors is the very simple question, where do you get the money, Governor? Uh, because for two reasons. Number one, um, if when this idea was first floated uh, in 2007, 2008, uh, defense spending as a share of GDP, again, the base budget, excluding the cost of the wars, was close to 4%. So then there was not a huge gap between what would need to be spent in the future and what was projected to be spent. Even, but even President Bush, for example, was not projecting to spend 4% uh, into the mid-2000s, where we are now. What's changed, of course, is that there have been some reductions in the rate of growth in military spending, and President Obama proposes to spend, it will decline to about, just as I recall, about 3.1, 3.2% of GDP under President Obama's long-range projections. So to make up the difference that Governor Romney is now talking about is a vast sum of money, more than $2.5 trillion by my calculations, in additional spending. 
Um, I have not heard the governor or anyone else in his uh, staff explain where that extra money will come from. Uh, uh, once I suggested that it would come from uh, higher taxes, that's not necessarily true, of course. They could cut other spending. I think at a minimum, it's incumbent upon him and his fiscal policy advisors to outline what would be cut presuming that the taxes won't be increased, what would be cut to make up that difference? And I, ha- I understand, again, in talking to other people who have, who have spoken with, with people inside of the, uh, the, the Romney campaign, uh, that the fiscal policy advisors are just saying flat out, uh, Governor, you, you don't have the money to do this. General Martin Dempsey is somebody that you point to as having uh, some particular comments about sequestration, which is, uh, in thinking of the big picture, some fairly small uh, cuts, if you even want to use the word cuts, mm-hmm. uh, to uh, military spending. Uh, he said we would no longer be a superpower under sequestration. He walked that comment uh, back a little bit. Uh, but then he added that uh, we're going to be providing a lot fewer options and a lot less capacity. And right. I think from a uh, perspective of yours, uh, probably from the perspective of our late chairman, Bill Niskanen, that may be a feature more than it is a bug. That's absolutely correct. Uh, and as my other colleague, Ben Freeman, likes to say, austerity is a good auditor. Uh, we should not do these things. We should not make changes to military strategy because um, – and our grand strategy, our foreign policy, because it's costly. Uh, if the threats were, were real and legitimate and proximate, I would argue for spending more. Uh, but the reality is that the, the threats are grossly inflated uh, and that we could be spending far less. More importantly, other countries have chosen, not unwisely, I think – uh, to spend far less on their militaries because they believe that the United States will defend their interests for them. Again, if I were in their position, I would do exactly the same thing. Uh, but we have missed numerous opportunities within the last few decades to shift the burdens to other countries who are eminently capable of defending themselves and their interests. And what we are left with is an increasing share of world military spending that falls on the bur- on the backs of U.S. taxpayers and the, and the actual burdens of the missions falling on U.S. troops and a declining share being borne by our uh, allies. Chris Preble is Vice President for Defense and Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.